We need to talk. 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 Do I have time for one more poem? We need to talk. Super pretty. We need to talk. We need to talk. We need to talk. Awesome. We need to talk. 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 Are you ready? Did you hear that bell? School is in session. Yeah, I know. The professor's in. We need to talk. We need to talk. We need to talk. Super pretty. We need to talk. It is, it is done. done. Poetry night rings through. Okay, how are we doing? So good. So good? I, I didn't hear anybody. How are we doing? That's a little better. That's what I like to hear. So, we're still stoked. We've got some poets for you. Um, we're just going to kick start the second set with uh, Mr. Shane Guthrie. Shane Guthrie. Oh, lovely. Quick bio. Shane Guthrie currently lives in the beautiful Snoqualmie Valley in the town of Duval, Washington. He's been writing poetry since 1993 and doesn't seem to be able to stop. He recently became the father of a fairly awesome little girl called Joanna. Shane's other hobbies include hiking, playing board games, gardening, and acrylic painting. Ladies and gentlemen, please clap to the stage, Mr. Shane Guthrie. It will unfortunately be necessary to forgive me for being less prepared than I would like. For Shane. This one is called Poem About LARP, if you're familiar with LARP. <laughs> with my cloak of invisibility wrapped around us, we will make out in the underbrush. The mages will throw their beanbags, and the warriors will clatter their wooden swords, but we will engage in this forbidden love. You, an elf maiden of the royal order of the lion, and I, a gnomish warlock of the house of the eagles. That doesn't matter to me. Love conquers all loyalties, I whisper to you. Your bow hung on the tree branch. You are dressed in armor. We press our armor together. Your nimble legs wrap around me. Your taste is, hey, what are you guys doing? I yell back, cloak of invisibility, you can't see us. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry, you should mark it or something. Yeah, I say. But the spell is broken. So many, many years ago, I wrote a collaborative chapbook with one Graham Isaac called Ouroboros. I wrote a second one with one James Rosenswag, who now lives in Chicago, which is very unfortunate for all of us. But here are some poems from that. <clears throat> Pray on Friday. Have that done. 
Tell God how grateful you are for the things he has made and given to you, that you thought it best to check in with him earlier rather than later. Head out to your night of whatever it is you look forward to. Stay out past your curfew. Enjoy yourself. On Sunday morning when everyone else is shuffling hungover into the pews, sleep in. You've got that covered. There's so much argument over what the seventh day is, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. When did, when did God rest? If we can't even agree on his day off, there's probably a good bit of wiggle room in the rest of the book. <laughs> You will die for me a second time. Rover the first got old, and you have that rare blood disorder, but for them, we only had one dog. The third rover should last. I've gotten him screened for everything. I had some time since you were so sick for so long. His spots are in different places, but otherwise, he looks just like you. I told the kids you were going to the hospital to get you fixed up. I said you might look a little different and that you might not remember all the tricks they taught you because of the strong medicine. Sorry, but... I'm not ready to explain death to them yet. You had a fine life without knowing. Would you have been happier if you did? No, I don't think so either. I'm the only one who will miss you. When you lick my hand, I hope you mean I love you too. This one is for Graham. He was a world-famous masturbator, one of the greats, one world's three times. He had endorsement deals with lotion makers, that shy, winning smile, long, smooth, piano player hands. He'd get recognized in supermarkets, parks, the DMV, always happy to sign an autograph. We watched him self-destruct at a semifinal match, looking haggard, off his game. He forced it and injured his suspensory ligament. He'd try to come back the next year, but he'd jump the gun and get stupid personal fouls. He dropped off the face of the earth. I saw him years later at a conference. He'd become a motivational speaker. I asked him if he missed the life. He said he missed the camaraderie and the excitement, but that he was satisfied. I asked him if he still masturbated. He put his hand on my shoulder, looked me in the eye, and said, Every day, man, every day. And this is my one from the anthology and the last one I read, so you're almost done listening to me. It's called The Problem with Nuclear Weapons. Did I mispronounce that? He says he never once got her off and only loved him when he was gone. He says he fucked her sister, who was better, and her dad was right. She's nobody. She says he's like his mom who never loved him, that his suicide attempt wasn't a cry for help. It was proof he could fuck anything up. He says the kids picked on her at school because she deserved it, just like the time Phil Wells raped her. They trade these knife wounds till the blood is too slippery to hold the blades. They'll crawl into shadowy corners to forget. But memories are permanent, and no matter how many times they cut you, it still hurts. And this is the problem with nuclear weapons. You die too. Thank you. Woo!
My goodness. One more round of applause for Shane Guthrie. Goodness sakes. Okay. Our next poet is uh, one of my favorites. Gary Wade is a refugee from Iowa Cornfields and Technical Writing. He is a retired research ecologist, teacher, photographer, father of three, and grandfather of seven. He lives in Bellingham, Washington. I know that city. A big round of applause, please, for Mr. Gary Wade. Thank you. Good evening. I like as well my view of you since I misplaced my glasses, though I see less well the seasoning gray within your midnight hair, the laughter lines above your cheek, the incipient down of matronly mustache, and a mark near your ear from a third-grade playground swing. I hear as well your hmm when you read the second paragraph of anything, your small laugh of pleased surprise, and the crinkling of wrappers on salt water taffy that you gave me from what a friend sent you from Delaware. I taste as well the slice of apple you passed across the table at lunch and the mushrooms you pile on the edge of my plate on Chinese Day. Those glasses cost $142, but I found owning them too expensive, and so I lost them so that I can see you as through an old window that rain runs down in August to blur the lines of intruding autumn. True affection needs not minute points revealed, and remembering draws the finer lines in life at middle age. I don't need aid to see that when you smile, your life shines through. And no more for me, the excitement of new dancing shoes, supple, soft, and virgin leather, polished, shining, gleaming, and gay lights of excitement. No more merry explorations in the dark and flying circuits on foreign boards, tripping light to new music, tapping, skipping night music, stepping down the line music, turning all in sight music, and girls caught in swing. I'll stay in my old brogans, warm, brown and heavy, ripped, scarred, beaten and renewed, with knotted laces, unperturbed by three holes, one quite ragged in the soles from stepped-on nails. Each shoe knows the contours of my heel, supports my fallen arch with lots of room for my once swollen, broken, crooked toe as I, plodding, Wear them into the night on the slow path, the darkening path. Up heavy stairs, anticipating freedom when I pull them off, knowing they'll be under my bed, waiting, touched by my quilt, shining in the golden light of morning. Now, I have always believed that one function of a poet besides to entertain and whatever else, he should also occasionally upset people, wake them up, 
comment on society. So I wrote this one about our military-industrial complex and some other people. Called it snakes. It's snakes is what they are, bred in Eden, born in beer halls, and tutored in boardroom dens where they learn to speak in sibilant sophistication. It's snakes is what they are, coiled on the backs of and collaring the dogs of war, loosed from the kennels of howling Burton, streaming in lodges or posts or crews or covens, keeping hidden what words to call them. It's snakes is what they are, nested in the sward about the flagpoles, ascending the silver shafts as though they are caduceuses. They flash stars in their white eyes with blood bright and blue stripes on their backs coiled to hide gold-yellowed bellies. It's snakes is what they are. Coiled around the tubes in midday television, hissing from the transistors of the late-night radio. They've sunk their fangs into the soles of the talking heads whose flickering forked tongues have hijacked our language, now fluent with words of oil. It's snakes is what they are, essing silently through the weeds that gardeners now are afraid to mow, fearing a strike at the heel, a punctured calf. They know that vipers lurking in the shrubs can lash out swiftly and hold you in the ass. It's snakes is what they are, owning the roads at intersections, littering the hurricane swamps with roadkill, their glowing slanted eyes at night turning wayfarers back toward black camps by dark water. It's snakes is what they are, in brown shirts and black uniforms retailored with new badges shining golden like the old Their concealed fasces gleam with corruption. They are serpents who serve themselves, not God nor mankind all. It's snakes is what they are, and they come for us all. We might save ourselves if we strike at their necks, but if you would strike to their crooked path, then a snake then too are you. And lastly, I keep hoping this would, this one would uh, drop out of my repertoire with no need for it. But it seems we are beating the drums, or somebody is beating the drums for another war with Iran, which is, uh, well, this is what we'll get from it. I've often wondered what... Uh, Is war a spirit or something out of ourselves, or is it a God? And if it is, what would he say if he came down to see us, if he introduced himself? And I think he would say something like, Greetings, I am war. I spend the sons you send with good intentions. I am war. I am the fruit of injustice sown on fester ground where you had not the courage to weed. I am war. I levy your best. In the black of the moon, I winnow them in fire wind. I am war. 
I am a tool for profit. From sold iron I am formed on the smoking anvils of industry's forge and tempered in your heart blood. I am war. I am your reward for tolerating tyrants and disarming yourselves in front of them. I am war. I'm your price for hate, your price for greed, your price for disdain. I'm your price for revenge, and I'm your price for not caring. I am war. I come cheap. I cost you all. Thank you. One more time for Gary Wade. That was a very poignant piece. Our final poet this evening is a stalwart in the poetry community. Um, He's been there near as I can tell from the start. Um, Malcolm H. Kenyon calls Albuquerque home, though he's been living temporarily in Washington for only 31 years. He served as a U.S. Navy officer in Vietnam, subsequently was an engineer, professor of industrial technology, welder, machinist, artist, and gunsmith. The list goes on. On retiring, he went back to the proverbial fork in the road and has been tutoring English as a second language at Bellingham Technical College and for the Whatcom Literacy Council to avoid going stir-crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, the epitome of stir-crazy... Mr. Malcolm H. Kenyon. He is a berserker. Rubber surprised me by keeping this one for a very long time. I always liked it, but he he surprised me. Anyway, this is a Massachusetts poem uh, in two parts. It's called Tracing Roman Roads. Grandfather couldn't keep ahead of his driveway. Slowly it grassed in, creeping back toward 1920, when Massachusetts seized his license. Last time his tires crunched these cinders, turned out from his furnace in the First World War. Grass snuck up on the garage, like his cat Snicky stalking birds. Temporarily it dodged the oil, then bridged the gap with verdant nets. Grass knew. No other car was apt to come and crush it. Yet grass would outlast my grandfather. Eventually his house would be torn down. The worn-out summer place pressed to temporary service through a lifetime without insulation or hot water. Just a place by the lake, only inconvenient then, 
not yet converted, coveted, excuse me, not yet coveted by the well-to-do. Grandfather would not have paid an extra cent for the view he rarely looked at. As stooped and bent, he picked his way down the steep street to catch the trolley into Dalton. Two. Fifty-five years later, my own driveway is overgrown. Beth's side has turned wild, like her side of the bed. Given over to chickweed and clover, wild roses make explorations, send subterranean dispatches back into the tangle. Not long now, they say. That old guy will go in there one day. His tracks will grow over. Archaeologists will find his fossilized remains by following the grass. And this one is a New Mexico poem. It was the first one that was ever published, and it probably is still my favorite. Uh, It's called Dust Bowl. O'Brien called it quits in 1937. Every year he nailed his old license plate inside his shed. There was no 1938. He left quick, or mad, I guess. His wife's enamel basin sat out in the yard along with cans, a coffee pot, kitchen table with a broken leg, his paint chewed off in curls by hungry sun, bean farmers. Once I found a single bean curled around barbed wire on top of four-foot fence, just visible above the sand. The old windmill had gaps between its teeth, creaked and rattling in wind beside an empty tank, all shot with holes by hunters. No matter, no water left to pump. Still bright where galvanized had flaked away around the holes. Don't know how they left without a car. Perhaps they walked. Or neighbors drove them to the stop at McIntosh, 20 miles over toward Estancia. They left a Model T, like the ribcage of Thanksgiving's turkey underneath the junipers, where a great horned owl slept by day and shade while sunlight sparkled off of broken glass and quartz brought up by ants. I wondered if they'd been too busy to be neat and threw their trash out through the door, or if the house exploded in the end, blew out the windows, left wallpaper in strips that twisted slowly in wind like Buddhist prayers. The old screen door slapped for 20 years. Morning doves sang elegies for O'Brien's second daughter, born dead 
by lamplight and buried out among the choyas around the cistern. It rained one day in April. First time in years. We put our rifles down and danced. The scent of roses encircled us, just brought to life like powdered soup by water off the eaves. No longer hybrid, now turned wild, sloughed off their Christianity, reconverted into pagans by extended drought. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for one of my all-time favorite poets, Malcolm Kenyon. Woo! Can I get a round of applause for the fact that on a Friday night, a bunch of people want to get dressed up and listen to poetry? Um, Yeah. That seems pretty significant to me. So... Um, I would just like to take a moment to thank you all for coming out. It's been a real pleasure. We've had a wonderful evening. and Poetry Night.